Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. So we are in Hebrews. We're going to start in verse 4. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will, we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, Lord, our high priest, who stands in your throne room uh, and, and attests for us, Lord. Lord, he is the one who, when we, uh, when we appear, he says, that one's mine. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would go with us as we journey through your word today. Lord, that you would make it alive for us. That as we hear from uh, your word, Lord, we would hear your voice. We would hear you in our hearts and in our minds. And Lord, that you would bring a great blessing and, and great enlightenment to us in your truth today. Lord, please bless Pastor Doug as he comes and ministers to us. And Lord, please be our focus for the rest of this service, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I came across an article entitled, Everything You Need to Know About Heart Disease. I wasn't looking for that as far as trying to diagnose my own situation, but I found it to be interesting as it relates to our elusive chase of what we are upon in, in the book of Hebrews. This article says this, heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States. It can't be cured or reversed, but many of the symptoms can be relieved with medication, procedures, and lifestyle changes. Now, this article continues to state that in the United States, one in every four deaths is the result of heart disease. 610,000 people die from this condition every year. This article was published on the website entitled Healthline continues to elaborate on the types, treatments, causes, and symptoms of heart disease that continually plague our society. As we have mentioned earlier in our study, in the previous verses of chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, the author of the book is or has intently warned the Jewish Christians who are tempted to drift from their devotion to the Messiah 
and of the dangers of a heart disease called hard-heartedness. In fact, common symptoms of a calloused heart include pride and panic that prevent believers from experiencing a healing rest that God offers to his children. Hardness of heart, therefore, continues to be an acute condition that strips believers' faith, love, and hope, the essentials of a Christian life. Unfortunately, no medication can soften a hard heart. No physical therapy can reverse a person's pride. And no high-priced specialist can perform a spiritual procedure to remove both panic and pride that threatens the Christian life. From a strictly human perspective, there is no treatment for the tendency toward the casualty of a hard heart. It's pursued, which is inherited, if you will, by our forefathers who fell in sin, as we know in Genesis chapter 3. But lest we despair, our passage this morning helps us to understand that there is an available cure for a hard heart. It encourages us that we have a divine surgeon who has a spiritual precision scalpel. In other words, the word of God incarnate uses the word of God to perform a heart transplant by removing the heart of stone that has become insensitive to spiritual things and replace it with a heart of flesh that moves to the rhythm of God's call. Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19 says these words. It says, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them. And they shall be a people, and I will be their God. To earnestly desire this type of heart, all we have to do, all that's involved, is we have to sing with King David as he recorded these words, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Our journey this morning will take us to Hebrews in chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. And in those five verses, we will see that the truth of God's word in the hands of our master surgeon has the ability to cut our hearts and create in us a heart of softness 
to the things of Jesus Christ. But before we contemplate this passage, we need to pray. God, your word is that dynamic as Pastor Steve read it, that it is described in so many different fashions. But the ultimate end is this, is that we have a surgeon. His name is Jesus, the Son of God, who came to us to willingly live among us that he may die for us so that we may, by grace through faith, have eternal life through his finished work. Oh, Lord, I, I don't know who's here this morning who's struggling who with a, a heart that is bent toward hardness. Maybe life has dealt them a blow and, and they don't know how to deal with it. But our text this morning gives us the prescription. It allows us to see the value of your word in the hands of our spiritual surgeon. As he takes the scalpel and begins to cut away, I pray, O oh God, that we would not cower from it, but that we would readily receive it. For it is in that that we really come to understand the rest, your spiritual rest that you promise to all those who would just believe and obey. We pray for our dear brother Forrest. I pray, God, that you would continue to raise him, whether through the intervenous of antibiotics or whether through you touching him in a miraculous way. In either case, we ask for your healing upon his body. And then too, we ask, oh Lord God, individuals who would like to be here, but they can't be because of sickness or illness, circumstances of life that press upon us. I pray, oh God, for them that maybe somehow, some way, O oh Lord, you would speak to them and assure them that you've never left nor were you ever forsake and allow them to know and understand your great love. And then, Lord, we come to this passage. Some of the verses we have learned when we were just old enough to sit in a chair in the Sunday school room or through the Iwana program or through Bible memorization courses that we may have taken. But they need, to, Lord, to travel from our minds into our hearts. In fact, even to the very depths of our soul. And we ask that by your Spirit, you would allow that to happen. May we focus upon you 
Because this is what it's all about. You are still worth following no matter what. But we need to be encouraged today. And so, Lord God, may your word ring true by the power of your spirit into our hearts and our lives to declare that thou art good and your mercies are everlasting. We commend these things, O Lord God, not in of ourselves, but for you. That you would minister in such a mighty way that we would be able to say as a psalmist, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. We covet these things by your grace and for your glory. And it's in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name, we pray. Amen. When you come to verse 12, it, it seems that all of a sudden this verse just doesn't seem to fit in the context of what we've been talking about. For you might remember that in chapter 3, it is about a hard heart. And in fact, the author of Hebrews says, don't do that. Today, if you will not harden your heart. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, we've been able to see or at least come to some kind of a, an illusion, if you will, of really what is God's rest. And we would consider at least that that subject or that thought would continue on. But now it's like, whoa, where did this come from? He begins by saying, for the word of God. I want to share with you this morning in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Some interesting concepts, some interesting terminology that the writer of Hebrews has used to describe the word of God and what makes it so valuable. In fact, there are four characteristics. It's identity, it's characteristics, it's abilities, and the implications for our lives. We begin with the identity. Now, this is really going to surprise you, but the Word of God is God's Word. Just in case you missed it, the Word of God is God's Word. And in fact, that terminology, the Word of God, has, can mean three different implications. The first one, we refer to it as the word of God, the scriptures. Let me give you a verse in case you're later on and you can't sleep at tonight and you need some verses to help you to take you to a world of sleep. The first one is 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20. Listen to what it says. And we have the prophetic word confirmed, which 
You do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word of God can refer to the scriptures. In fact, from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through to Revelation chapter 22, the scriptures. The second is that it can refer to the ultimate embodiment of truth. Oh, you know where I'm going with this one. It is, in reality, the word of God incarnate is Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The third, it can also mean this. The message of God proclaimed. The spoken word of God. As Paul records this in 1 Thessalonians 1.13, it says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing... Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you, be, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And so as this particular verse 12 begins by describing for the word of God is, we come to realize that in a broader sense, this threefold usage of the Word of God includes anything that communicates the truth of not only who God is, but what He has provided through Jesus Christ. In the strictest sense, it is the inspired words of the prophets and the apostles. Amazing. That's the identity. It's God's word. May I ask you just a quick question, and maybe a nod one way or another will suffice. Has the word of God ever failed you? Well, I'm glad you went like this instead of, yeah. It's never failed us. Why? Because it is the very character of who God is. He spoke it. In 2 Timothy 3.16. For all scripture is given by what everybody? Inspiration of God. That word inspiration. Theop neustos. God speaks. In the Greek. It is the very breath of God and from it oozes all of the character all of the love all of the glory of who God is and if ever we need a foundation of truth dear brothers and sisters is right here it is God's word 
Oh, but it has characteristics. Notice some of them, if you will. First, the word of God is described as being alive. Now, you're going to take your Bible home and you're going to put it in that safe place and you make sure no one touches it until next Sunday. I hope not. But you're going to set it down and you're going to say, okay, live. And it's going to say to you, just open it up. Have you stopped to think or to consider how much the word of God is alive? Well, let me give you a few things. It takes that which is dead and gives it life. It takes that who is blind and allows to see spiritually. Ones who cannot walk with God now can move with him. Those who once were downhearted can be lifted up. Well, I think I got your attention now. It literally means those who were blind to spiritual things now can see. Those who were lost have been found. I'm talking about what the word of God is as it is alive. It changes people. It changes life situations in people. It causes us, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that the preaching of the gospel to those who are dead is foolishness. But to us who are alive, it is the power of God. It gives life. Oh, how many stories have you heard of individuals who were at the wit's end and they come and they open the scriptures and they come to John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And all of a sudden they begin to be awakened to their need of a savior. It's alive. Let me put it to you so that you can just put a, put a nail in, 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 in the desk here. We ain't got no dead book. It's alive. It's powerful. Notice as it says. Second, the word of God is powerful. You may have effective. Or you may even have some other term that's translated. But literally it means power. It is the dynamos of God. We get our word dynamite. Light a stick of dynamite and stand over top of it. See what happens. It'll move you. This word is powerful. It is that powerful that the demons of hell run from it. Satan himself can't stand against it. And there's nothing that can stand against the word of God. It is Powerful. Paul said it in Romans chapter 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Dunamis. It's dynamite. And when you light that fuse, the Holy Spirit explodes it into the individual's life. That all of a sudden they come away changed. Oh yeah, they're messed up, but they're changed to the glory of God. It's powerful. 
Thirdly, it's sharp. It's sharp. Let me tell you what the word of God will do. In Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet writes these words. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. And without succeeding in the matter, and, and will succeed in the matter for which I have sent it. Aren't you glad that we have the word of God, that there was a day in your life that someone showed you how you can have eternal life. Paul says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But it's sharp. Uh, did you catch the, the phrase that is used here? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The Greek word there literally means, if you will, it is a sharp instrument, sort of like a dagger. Not the long sword that you sling back and forth. No, this kind of sword gets close. It's a surgical matter. In fact, I, I kind of wonder if maybe if the writer today was using this terminology, he may even refer to it as a scalpel. Hand, I want to see a, a show of hands. How many of you have got marks of a scalpel? I got two and one. Two and one. It's called surgery. Aren't you glad the surgeon didn't come in there with a huge sword? Well, that cures that. Next. It's a precision instrument. And it has to be handled with precision. It is that sharp that it tells us that it infiltrates both our immortal being and our mortal being. Did you catch it? For it says here that it cuts soul and spirit, joints and marrow, immaterial and material. There's been times in my life, as I'm sure is in yours, that when you read the word of God, it says, oh, that hurts. Yes, it does. Because the master surgeon wants to remove from us that which we have built up as a barrier between us and him. He so tenderly does it. He doesn't do it to destroy you. He doesn't do it with the intention of nothing more than that he loves you. And he wants you to get close to the scalpel. 
get close. I used to be a printer. I ran printing presses for Lancaster Bible College, A.B. Dick, T-51, color head. I did what people said I couldn't do on that press. Well, that's my makeup. I have to prove people wrong. I did four color on a press like that, and you can't do it on an A.B. Dick 360 with a T-51 head. That's what they told me. But as I was preparing the four different parts of the negative, each part of the negative was for a different color. As I was meticulously cutting that out, setting it up on so that I could burn the metal plate, all of you have no idea what I'm talking about until I tell you this. As I was cutting that, we, we had a exacto knife that was sharp and I had to prove to myself just how sharp that is and so I said how sharp is that oh that's sharp <laughs> that's sharp never had to do it again isn't that what the word of God does to us God's reminding us stop don't do that again stop he cuts us because he loves us. And then he so tenderly sews us back together by his grace and his mercy. The word of God also has applications for us. You'll notice in verse 13. It pierces and it judges. It says, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The sentence before that, it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It pierces and judges. I wonder if maybe the author of Hebrews, uh, this section, is giving a, uh, an explanation, if you will, of Psalm 139, where David describes the characteristics of God in that God is omnipotent and he is omniscient and he is omnipresent. David says, where is it that I can go that you're not there? Nowhere. And chapter 4, verse 13 reminds us that there's no place we can go. There's nothing that we can do. There's not a thing we can say nor a thing we can think that God doesn't already know. You can't hide from him. And David says, even the depths of the sea, you're there. 
the heights of the mountains, you were there. There's no place I can go. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage these first century believers who are wondering, is it really worth following Jesus? Let's go back. Let's go back. And the writer is saying, stop. Don't go any further. He's given us a method. Now he's going to give us a message. The last three verses of this chapter close out in a very quick but yet a thought-stating fact that therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In those three verses... We were both given the humanity and the supremacy of our Savior. He's called the Son of God. It is the combining, if you will, in a theological term called the hypostatic union. The combining of both eternal God and perfect man. That's who he is. And in that, we can take great refuge. Notice it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, passed through the heavens, has twofold meaning. It means he came from heaven and he went back to heaven. The Son of God. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, This child you have, he's going to be fantastic. He's going to be known as the Son of God. And God Himself, God the Father Himself, two times made mention of the fact of who Jesus is. For He said in His, if you will, His baptism, Matthew chapter 3. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Matthew 17. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. He's the son of God. Oh, it's described a little bit nicer for us. Even in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews chapter 3. For now God speaks through him. He is the very embodiment of of the glory of God. And he walked among us. He's perfect God. Holy God. And yet he's perfect human. Now, 
before we get all caught up in too much, and time is fleeting, uh, I'm trusting that I'll go to the, to the throne room of God and ask for grace and mercy for the nursery workers and also the junior church people. But I can't leave this. i got to finish it. Because we can have the word, but if it's not tied to the Savior, all we got is a message, but we don't have a method. It's Jesus. He's the Son of God. In other words, whatever God said, Jesus says. There's no discrepancy in heaven. It's the same. There's no lostness in glory. For perfect unity is there. There's no hopelessness. Because we have hope in our Savior. His humanity talks about that in Luke chapter 3, where it says, He grew in the knowledge of God. How does God do that? Speaking of his humanity. That Jesus grew. Ladies and and, and gentlemen, this morning, you're the jury. Jesus still had to be fed when he was a baby. He still had to have his diapers changed. I don't know if they had pampers back then, but he still had to have his diapers changed. He still had all of the movement of a human being. But yet, the text tells us he did it without sin. He was tempted in every way that we are. And in fact, I would dare tell you this morning that his temptation was even greater than what you can ever begin to imagine. None of you have come face to face with Satan. Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan tried to discredit his person. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Satan tried to discredit him for his purpose. Isn't it written that if you would stumble your foot, that God would send angels to protect you? And then Satan tried to discredit his portion when he said, if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Can you imagine Satan saying to the creator of all that there is, you can have it if you worship me? It would be like, wait, wait a minute, I already own it. It's already mine. You got no claim on this if it wasn't for me. I let you come before my presence. Evil, distinct fullness of nothing than evil came to the face of the preciousness of our Savior. And you think you got it bad? 
Yet Jesus did it without sin. Not only that, but he provided an out for us. For he says, come. There's a place that you can come. Call the throne room. Come to the throne. Uh, there's a song that, that I got to get so that we can learn it. The song is called The Hymn of Heaven. Maybe any of you may have already heard that. That song is unbelievable. For it talks about the day when we will be in glory. No more pain. No more sorrow. But yet, Jesus said, in the meantime, there's a place you can come to be strengthened. We got the word. We have the message. We have the method. And now we have a place. And I'll put it in this way. Place of massage. Come. Come to the throne. Don't give up. Jesus is still worth following. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. Next week, Lord willing, we begin a whole new section in the book. Jesus has been proclaimed the greatest, the superior of his person and who he is. Now, he is going to be displayed even greater than all of the law and its templates. We have a great Savior, and he is worth following. The question is, are you going to harden your heart? Don't do that. It's not worth it. Following Christ is worth all of glory. Can we pray this morning? God, I can't even begin to imagine of what it's going to be like in your presence. None of us can. We have instances in your scriptures that give us an insight into what it might be like. But until that day, we find ourselves wallowing around this earth bound by things that we would like to be set free from but yet you promise us a place it's a place that we can come anytime and it is there that we find the two essences of our spiritual life grace and mercy and it's available and when we may even begin to consider that Jesus is not worth following, we need to stop and come to the place to be massaged by who you are and your word that we may find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Yes, Lord Jesus, you are still worth following. May we do it well.
May we with purpose in our hearts and in our lives. May we purpose to follow you wherever you would lead us, whatever you would ask us to go. To your glory, we ask these things. Amen.